Uh, my name is uh, Ole Larsen uh, from Salt Lake City, originally from uh, Sweden. I read your annual report where you mentioned um, how the current account deficit or the trade deficit has to uh, eventually come to an end. And in your report, you were reluctant to uh, give views or forecasts of how this would come down from uh, $2 billion a day. Would you nevertheless be willing to share some thought of what, how, how, how it might come down, if you have any views on this? Well, that, that really is a $64 question, because it, we are, in my view, and Charlie, Charlie doesn't, he's not as on board on this as I am, so it's important that you listen to him on this, too. But the, uh, it does seem to me that that a $618 billion uh, trade deficit or in a larger current account deficit, rich as we are, strong as this country is, that something won't happen that will change that in a major way at some point and that the longer that it goes before changing, the more likely it is that something fairly significant happens. But most economists uh, or most observers would still say that some kind of a soft landing is possible, or, or they would say it's likely. They never, to my mind, they never quite explain, you know, what the soft landing is. They just say it's, you know, it's likely to be a soft landing, but it could be something different, but we still think it'll be a soft landing. But I don't know what a soft landing is exactly uh, in the sense of how the numbers come down uh, quite significantly, and if they don't come down, the current account surplus or deficit means that we are transferring more and more wealth abroad and that we will, in addition to our trade deficit, we will at some point have a very significant deficit in terms of, of the net investment position that the rest of the world holds on it. So it becomes a compounding effect. I, I do recommend there's a, there was an op-ed piece in the Washington Post on April 10th by Paul Volcker, and he is expressed himself some on this, and he gets into the question of whether it can be a soft landing or not. But I think he certainly expresses some real apprehension about whether a soft landing will be the likely result. In the kind of world we live in, with so much of, of the assets of the world whether they be foreign exchange or whether contracts or whether they be stocks or bonds or junk bonds or whatever, I think as high a percentage is on what I would call a hair trigger now as it has ever existed. In other words, I think there are more people that go to bed at night with a position in foreign exchange or bonds or a carry trade or stocks or whatever that some event that could happen overnight would cause them to want to change that position in the next 24 hours. I think that's the highest perhaps in history. Somebody's referred to it as the electronic herd that is out there. I mean, people can, would, they can give vent to decisions involving billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know, with the press of a key virtually. And that electric, I think that electronic herd is at an all-time high. I think uh, that some exogenous event, it was almost long-term capital management in 1998, but some exogenous event, and we will have them, uh, will cause, a, I think it, it could very well cause uh, some kind of stampede by that herd, and that uh, 
you can't get rid, if you're the rest of the world, you can't get rid of dollars. I mean, if you're sitting in Japan, China or someplace, and you own a lot of U.S. government bonds, if you sell them to somebody in the United States, you get U.S. dollars. So you still have U.S. assets. If you sell them to somebody in France, you've now got euros, but they've got the, the government bonds. You can't, you can't get rid of those assets, but you can't have people trying to head for the door very quickly with them under certain circumstances. Volcker said in this thing, he said uh, in the second paragraph, yet under the placid surface there are disturbing trends, huge imbalances, disequilibrium risk, call them what you will. Altogether, the circumstances seem to me as dangerous and intractable, and I, I don't emphasize intractable, as any I can remember, and I can remember quite a lot. Well, Paul Volcker can remember quite a lot. And uh, you know, I, I agree with that. I, don't, I, I have no idea. I have no idea on timing whatsoever. In, in, in economics, it's far easier to tell what will happen than when it will happen. I mean, you, you can see bubbles develop in, in things, but you do not know how big the bubble will get, for example. You know, this happened five years ago in the market. So you predicting timing is, I've just never been successful at it, nor do I try to do it. Predicting what will happen, I think, is a much easier uh, sort of thing. And I would say that what is going on in terms of trade policy is going to have uh, very important consequences. It was not addressed in the last presidential campaign by either candidate in any meaningful way at all. Now, I'm not sure if, you know, you were standing up in front of the American people and somebody's giving you three minutes to explain this whole situation when 90% of your audience couldn't define current account. Uh, you know, it's not an easy game, but, but it's an important one. Now, Charlie is less enthusiastic about our foreign exchange position somewhat than I am, so I'm, I'm, I want to yield the floor here for a significant period of time while he gives you the other view. Well, I, I'm, if anything, a little more repelled than you are by the lack of virtue in the way our nation uses consumer credit and uh, the way we run the public finances. And I have a feeling that eventually a lack of virtue is, is going to hurt one. Where we differ is that uh, I agree with Adam Smith that a great civilization has a lot of ruin in it, in it meaning it will bear a lot of abuse. And uh, so uh, I think there are dangers in the current situation that make it unwise for anybody to swing for the fences. But I don't think that we have a certainty that, that the system won't stand a lot more of the kind of abuse it's getting now. What do you think the end will be? Bad. <laughs> I knew I could count on him. <laughs> now we, we, are, we are truly in this country like an incredible, no, we, we, we are truly in this country like an incredibly, I mean incredibly rich family that owns, we'll say metaphorically, millions of acres of, of land. They can't see, they can't travel to the outer reaches of their domain, but nevertheless they sit on the front porch and wait for the produce to come in from this vast holding, and when they get it all they still want to consume about 6% more than everything that's been produced on the farm. And they have the ability to do that by simply selling off a little piece of the farm every day and every year that they can't even see. So they don't feel any poor at the end of the day or at the end of the year because 
it's still, as far as their eyesight can see, they own everything that God ever created. And they can sell that little piece or they can mortgage it. They can send IOUs to these people that are giving them the extra goods to consume. And we are a very, very, very rich family. And we produce a whole lot and we consume a little bit more than we produce. And we trade away a little bit of the farm or put a little bit of a mortgage on every day. And the rest of the world is happy to take a little piece of our farm or take a mortgage on it. a little harder to send us something so that we can consume a little bit more than we produce. It's been going on a while. It's accelerated a lot in the last few years. And more and more, the rest of the world is owning part of us. And we are going to have to service that ownership, either through interest if they took it in IOUs or in some other way. And it can go on a long time. But if it goes on a long time, the world will own a good bit of us, and uh, our children will be paying one way or another for the fact that we got to consume more than we produced. And uh, it could it could happen. You could have you've obviously had some less interest in the rest of the world accepting dollars by the fact that the dollars declined somewhat in value in the last few years. In other words, interest in the rest of the world accepting dollars by the fact that the dollars declined somewhat in value in the last few years. In other words, that the, in, the investment in us is always going to be equal to the overconsumption. I mean, it's, a, it's an equation. But if people get a little less excited about one, enthused about one side of the equation, it reflects itself in the pricing mechanism. And the world has has demonstrated a diminishing enthusiasm for dollars in the last few years as they get flooded with them. Because we send $2 billion out every day, whether we like it or not, and whether they like it or not. Now, the question is, does that reach some tipping point at some point, or does some exogenous event come about that causes people to want to rush for exits? Who knows? All I, I have a hard time thinking of any outcome from this that involves an appreciating dollar. But as Charlie will point out in just a second, there have been times when we've been surprised. Charlie? Yeah, the counter-argument is that what does it matter if the foreigners own 10% more of the United States if at that time total wealth of the United States is 30% higher than it is now? Yeah. And so well, the people have that point of view just roll with it, and some of them think that if we didn't manufacture anything in the United States and just sat here running hedge funds, we would have a wonderful economy because it comports with Republican principles. Uh, we well, cut I each disagree. other's hair, too, actually. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But back in the late 18th century, obviously, the, uh, the idea of taxation without representation caused a certain amount of trouble, and ownership of the rest of the world, by the rest of the world of this country would be seen as a form of taxation, I think, 20 years from now by the people who resided here. If we, in, if, if, if instead of fighting the Revolutionary War, we'd simply made a deal with England and said, we'll give you 3% or 5% of our national product forever and, and you let us be free and we'll just mail it, send the royalty over every day, that might have looked like a good alternative to war you know, in, the, in, in 1776. 
but I don't think that subsequent generations would have reacted well. I mean, something would have happened over time, and I, I have a feeling that the idea of America paying tribute to the rest of the world because of the overconsumption patterns of a previous generation uh, seems to be, I don't think that's a particularly stable scenario, but that's why we have only 21 billion in foreign exchange contracts. Charlie might have a little less if, or maybe none if he were running it entirely, and I might have somewhat more if uh, I didn't know I'd have him sitting up here next to me next year. <laughs>